America is an amazing country filled with wonderful people who do incredible things. But too often, the media and liberal politicians ignore big parts of our nation and the people who make it work. So I'm speaking with leaders and policymakers who deal with real problems every day. I'm Ronna McDaniel, and this is Real America. Today, I'm going to be speaking with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. We're going to cover issues facing real Americans outside the bubble, from COVID to the assault on religious freedom, from his unique perspective running American foreign policy under President Trump. I'm so happy to be with Secretary Mike Pompeo, my friend, uh, but somebody who has just helped lead our country uh, during some very difficult times. And I really want to get your take on many different issues, ranging from Israel to Iran to China. But I want to start with COVID. Uh, and I'm going to take you back a little bit in time to the decision that you and President Trump made to shut down travel from China as COVID was spreading. And we heard from the left and the media, this is xenophobic, Joe Biden <laughs> called it that. They said it was awful, this is terrible what you're doing. But what were what was the process that led to that really important decision at that time? In yeah, place? you know, that's a great question. I don't think I've been asked that before. Really? Okay. Uh, and it's great to see you. It's great Good to, to be with you too. too. Uh, I've, I've been looking forward to this. Look, there were so many things we didn't know, but there were a handful of things that we did know, one of which was that we were being shut out that the ability to access the information we needed to really understand where this came from and what its transmissibility was and what the lethality was, we were starting to get our hands on it, but the Chinese were shutting us out. And then we could see the scale of what was taking place in Wuhan. My team on the ground, I had less than a dozen people on the ground at our consulate that was there in Wuhan, China. Okay. They, they were seeing real time what the Chinese were doing in terms of shutting down their own community. And then we watched, we watched uh, my ambassador in Italy watched these flights from uh, China to Milan, where the first big European outbreak takes place in Milan. So we had a handful of data points, and it wasn't me. It was the president. The, the, the president stared at this. The, the health community's view is always uh, bans don't work, blocking doesn't work, uh, creating conditions where people can't travel. You can't lock these things down. The president said, yeah, thanks for your input. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, we're going to make it work, and so did. And I, I can't tell you how many American lives this almost assuredly saved uh, because we had fewer people coming in. It wasn't that we were able to stop it completely. We still yeah. have had a, a dickens of a time here in the United States with the Wuhan virus, but make no mistake about it, it was the right call, and the, the caterwauling from the left and indeed from the global health community was enormous, and we withstood that. We knew we had done the right thing. We defended it, and then you saw shortly after that many countries began to follow. And then the Democrats start taking credit for it. Yes, we were we were there all along. We believed in this all along. It's the craziest darn thing. Yeah, yes. it is crazy. Now we know, you know, a year later, Cuomo was hiding nursing home results. He was covering things up. But the originator of covering things up was China. China had this yeah. happening. They weren't reporting it to the WHO. They weren't sharing with the global community what was happening on the ground. And it really did hurt not just America, but the whole world. Tell me about China and, and why did they do that? How did they get away with it? How did the WHO miss it? And what impact did this have globally? Yeah. Ron, I always remind people that the work that I was doing was international, but it has huge impact on every yeah. American all across the country. I think of people back in my home state of Kansas who have been impacted by the Chinese Communist Party's decision to go into full authoritarian mode. So they, they, they knew they had a problem set. 
somewhere towards the end of 2019, it became clear to them shortly thereafter that it was very transmissible, human to human. They could see it. They knew. They had the data they set. They knew it for sure. And they did, they did what the Russians did in Chernobyl. Right? They go dark. So what do you do? You disappear doctors. You ban journalists. You uh, lock down the information set. You shut the world out. Indeed, they had commitments to allow the world in, and they just said, we're not going to honor those commitments. And they went into full damage mode. And then a PR offensive on the other side, which said, now we're going to deliver PPE to the world, and uh, we're going to be the ones that lead the world's response to this in terms of a vaccine. And so you cover up your outrageous foisting a virus upon the world, and then lead saying you're the fireman putting out this fire. Wow. Whatever one thinks about the origin, and there are many things we don't know, I I happen to be pretty firmly convicted that it was a leak from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Every data point I see leads me to that conclusion. If you said lay out my proof, I can't do that. Okay. The reason I can't do this because the Chinese won't let Let us do this causes me to believe that I'm even more right (laughs) about it. But whatever one believes about that, we know this with absolute certainty. The Chinese Communist Party was the only institution in the world capable of telling the world what we were prepared to, had to prepare to confront, and they refused to do it. That is, in, uh, American, uh, in, in American law, that'd be criminal negligence. In the world of ordinary people, it is grossly, recklessly negligent and cost millions of lives and billions of dollars worth of wealth. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party must be held accountable for this. The world, not just the United States, the world needs to join together to do that. And if you think like the Biden administration apparently does, it says if we just get back in the WHO, if we just rejoin this global community of great philanthropic medical professionals, you will be rejoining a politically corrupt institution that has no capacity to prevent this from happening again. It's so true. And I think it's not getting enough notice from the media. I don't think a lot of Americans still fully understand the breadth and the depth of, of, of what China did to hide this. And now... Here we are in Operation Warp Speed in America. We're distributing vaccines. China's been a distributor around the world. It's now being shown uh, that they're hiding data on phase three. Sure. Their vaccines are not effective. What does that mean? I mean, how are they able to continue to be dishonest and continue to perpetuate this dishonesty at the global level? And why isn't America holding them accountable? So, Rana, this is a this is a bigger challenge with China, but this is a really good insight, a really good look into the Chinese Communist Party and the evil that is at the heart of who those leaders are. Uh, the disinformation effort they have is at scale, and they're very powerful. It's a country of 1.4 billion people. They have political influence in countries far across the world and control most of the international institutions in the world. And so they are able to get away with an awful lot in terms of corruption and lying. We all know better. The people in the West know better. And for 40 years, none of us did a darn thing about it. Uh, And this is bipartisan. Republican presidents didn't do anything. Democrat presidents didn't do anything. Donald Trump did. President Trump did. He said, enough. And we saw it with tariffs. This impacted every American life. Right, they were stealing our intellectual property. Tens of millions of jobs lost in the United States. And President Trump said, this is crazy. We're not going to let this happen anymore. The same thing with this virus. They've now, they now engaged in a set of activities to cover up a virus that killed millions of people. So how should we respond? So we will need to lead. No, no, Europeans won't lead. Southeast Asian countries wouldn't be able to lead because of where they sit. But we can. 
And we can do several things. A good example was what we had started to do in the, this particular space to prevent the next epidemic. So we left the World Health Organization and we're beginning to build out uh, a Western-based model that said, no, we're actually going to work to do real science and not politics inside a health organization. Crazy idea, yeah. I know. Yeah, genius uh, idea. Genius idea. I remember the day the president asked we were leaving the WHO, the world howled. I know. The left howled. I, I remember this. It, it, it they was, had one job. It was it, exactly to, to find out if there's a pandemic, and they failed. Yes. We should be leaving. And, and a secondary mission, which says if you fail at the first one, figure out how the heck it failed, and they were failing at figuring exactly. out how the heck they failed in there. And Biden's mission. going right back in. It's, it's welcoming the, them with it, open it's arms. The, it's one of the biggest head scratchers, and so we'll need to lead. The, the yeah. Biden administration's unlikely to do that. Mm -hmm. They are so wedded to these international institutions, and I'm all about it. We should use alliances and build out with other countries. America doesn't have to do it all around the world, indeed shouldn't. But if they're dysfunctional, or indeed they're acting in ways that are against America's interests, we shouldn't be anywhere near them. And that's the WHO today, at least in the part of the WHO that does epidemic prevention and response to epidemics. Uh, it failed. It failed every American. And the president made a really good decision to leave that. Uh, folks like me need to go out and make the case and make the argument. We did that for two and a half years. My time as Secretary of State, we built out an enormous glo global coalition that came to understand the threat from the Chinese Communist Party. I think that'll benefit every American for years to come. I love how vocal you are, and I think we learn so much from this. That's why these types of conversations where we can talk about it more in depth are so important. I think the other thing we learned is supply chain. Uh, yeah. Pharmaceuticals, so many of them manufactured in China, I mean, the disruption of the supply chain. Are you seeing any movement from the corporate world or anywhere in the country to try and disengage from China with that recognition that we can't be so dependent on one country when it comes to a pandemic like this? So, Ronnie, yes. There, there are companies that are reevaluating their supply chains, and that's really important. What they, what they didn't get, and this, was, this goes from America's biggest companies, big global competitors to smaller businesses that also had supply chains, deeply embedded in China, they underestimated the political risk and the economic harm mm -hmm. that could befall them. I'll never forget the first day when we learned that there was product produced by an American company operating in China, prepared for delivery to an American company that was taking contract under an American contract and the Chinese wouldn't let it leave the country. It's a wake-up call for every country that says, you think you own your assets, you believe that you control the capacity to deliver your product, but the truth is you're operating under the thumb of the Chinese Communist Party, and they're starting to wake up to it. So you're starting to see the move. Many of them back to the United States, some of them going to Mexico and to Canada as a result of the agreements that we got between those three countries as well, uh, and some of them going places closer to Asia, to Vietnam and to other places. Mm -hmm. My view is I'd prefer they come to the United States. It is critical to our national security that they not be under the thumb of the Chinese Communist Party. So I think you said something earlier that I agree with completely. Most Americans don't realize how much the international world and the global community affects our lives, our daily lives, like you said, people back in Kansas. But I think we saw a little bit of that through this pandemic with governments, it's the state level suppressing uh, freedom and things like religious freedom in the name of COVID, people not able to go to church. I know I didn't go to church for a year in person. I know this is a passion point for you, but you also bring a global perspective 
about what religious freedom means and how unique the United States of America is. What do you think about what you've seen with states like California and New York taking away freedoms, specifically religious freedom, during this pandemic? You know, Rhonda, one of the things I believe so many Americans saw here is how thin the veneer is, yep. uh, how fragile the republic can be when government gets a sniff that they can control your lives and exert their power in a way that is deeply violative of the things that every American believes they have and cherishes their right to practice their faith. Uh, when I watch local governments telling churches they weren't smart enough how to figure out how to worship safely, I was outraged. I was so proud. So many, there were pastors, there were synagogues, uh, there were religious leaders all across America who said, no, we're gonna find a way to do this. It was hard, the penalties were harsh. Uh, my church back home in Kansas uh, worshiped online for a long time. I, I was living in Washington, got a chance to watch Pastor Stan many Sundays. Um, but there's nothing like being there. And no. more importantly, there's nothing like the right to choose to be there. And our country denied that to uh, its citizens. I, uh, I saw the impact of that around the world. Uh, I worked very hard on religious freedom. The president made it a priority. He was the first leader to talk about religious freedom at a UN gathering. Uh, the vice president valued this, took this to heart. Had a great ambassador, Sam Brownback, working on religious freedom around the world. And we did it because we knew it mattered to those human beings. I believe deeply that every human being is made in the image of God, no matter where they live. And we wanted to give them the capacity to practice their faith. But it mattered to Americans, too. When religious freedom is denied around the world, those are usually authoritarian regimes. That will have a real reflection back into our lives here at home. And so we felt like we could keep America far more secure if we could expand religious freedom around the world. There were great places where we achieved that. There's still an awful lot of work to do. But what happened in the United States, what we saw, whether it was this issue around masks or the issue around faith, governmental power is risky. And we know that our rights don't come from the government. And when we, for a moment, watch governors, Democrat governors in this instance, when we watch Democrat governors make decisions like they made that said, you can't worship, this is inconsistent with who we are as Americans, and we need to fight back against that every single day. I think, especially now as a mom with my children who have not been in school full-time for a yeah. year, the ramifications of that coming from a Democrat governor I do think it's been a wake-up call as we've seen freedoms stripped away under, um, you know, political pretense because of, of the pandemic. But it's it's yeah. religious freedom. You look at what China did. They yeah. suppress data. They take away your religious freedom. You never think <laughs> that that can be happening in the United States of America, but it has happened yeah. as, the, as this pandemic's unfurled. Yeah. We've seen yeah, all those things I, stripped I, away. It's interesting. I can see the look on your face. You're, you're being a little careful because it kind of sounds crazy. It does. Right? Because it kind of sounds crazy to say, oh, my goodness, this could happen here. It happened. It happened. It, it, it happened here. And we can't let it happen again. I, I, the good news is I, I've been out traveling these last few weeks. Uh, I couldn't do political stuff for four yeah. years, and now I'm getting my fill. It's fantastic. Are you loving it? <laughs> I, am, I am loving it. I've gone out and campaigned for a bunch of candidates. I'm going to do a bunch more. I'll be down in Atlanta with the NRCC this week. Uh, we want to give the Biden administration just as short a runway as we possibly can. I think people felt it. I think they, saw, I think they, I think they are appropriately alerted to the risks of big government in the air of big tech and they know what governments can now do and they're not going to take it and it is lovely and it is appropriate and is deeply consistent with our founding and giddy up.
Yeah, yeah, giddy up. <laughs> I, I love that. Giddy up because it is, I, it's real. I remember leaving Michigan, and I call it the communist state of Michigan, um, and going to Florida and being like, this is what freedom feels like. Yeah. And going to Texas or states run by Republican governors, even in our country, we lost so many freedoms. I'm going to go back to uh, the global perspective right now because probably when this airs, this will be passed. But right now we're watching what's happening in Israel. And boy, the Trump administration, what you did with Israel and Middle East peace with Abraham Accords, with moving the embassy, with recognizing the Golan Heights, and more importantly, pulling out of the Iran deal. And the recognition that you know, Obama gave pallets of cash to Iran to fund groups like Hamas that are now bombing Israel, our greatest ally in the Middle East. What are you thinking right now? I'm just curious what your perspective is right now. And this may be, you know, yeah. airing weeks after this, but, but I'm curious but, but, right but, now. But Ron, this issue is going to be alive. This issue of how this administration treats the Middle East from America's perspective, how we think about Israel, our friend and ally, right, the rightful Jewish homeland. This matters. This, a lot of Americans care about this. So I, you, you were talking before about how the work I did as Secretary of State mattered in America. As a Christian evangelical, I care deeply about this special place of Israel. So do many American Jews. Uh, so do many who practice the Islamic faith, right? Jerusalem is home and the base for all three Abrahamic faiths. Yep. This is an important place. And people don't realize how small Jerusalem yeah, is. Tiny. And when you're there, it's it, tiny it's, it's and tiny. everything's crammed together. Yes. Uh, the, you know, the second thing is we've sent a lot of our young men and women off to fight and die in this place, too. If we don't get stability and peace right there, the risk that we'll have to send our young people back there again increases significantly. It's why what the Biden administration does is just confounding why you would side with Iran against our ally Israel. That's effectively what they're doing. You cataloged it. Think about just these first 100-plus days. Uh, there's a group of terrorists in a country called Yemen. It's a small place. It's out of the way. Uh, the Iranians underwrite the terrorists. They're called Houthis. They're tribesmen. Uh, they're an Iranian proxy. They're clearly terrorists. And the administration says, no, we're going to de-designate them. We're going to say they're not terrorists. Today, they are launching missiles into the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. There are Americans traveling in Riyadh and Jeddah all over. There will be an American killed. They underwrite the Palestinian Authority, returning all the funding that we had taken away. It's those very Palestinians that are now firing rockets into Israel. They're going to allow Hezbollah and Lebanon, all of these places where Iran is the most destabilizing force force in that important region in the Middle East, this administration is grabbing hold of. It is the ninth year of the Obama-Biden administration's effort to make Iran America's senior partner in the Middle East. This is... This is dangerous for the Gulf states. It's especially dangerous for this important place of Israel that's going to celebrate its 73rd anniversary uh, in the days ahead. I, uh, I hope that members of the Senate and members of Congress can uh, convince their colleagues to rein in what the Biden administration is doing because they got the same cast of characters. Wendy Sherman's back, Robert O'Malley's back, yep. the whole the Susan, whole Obama Susan team, Rice, the whole team's back. Uh, this will impact the us here at home as together. well, yep. and uh, we need to push back against them. You know, the last thing to say is, uh, you know, for for decades, our policy with respect to Israel was largely bipartisan. Everyone understood this was an important Democratic partner in the region. You have significant, not outlier, but significant segments of the Democratic Party that are behaving in ways that is fundamentally, fundamentally anti-Semitic. Yes. Saying that the Israelis are the terrorists, saying that it is Israel that has caused and these the problems. And the media is following, by the way. Uh, 
Yeah, in a lot of ways. You you saw this, Ron. You've lived it. I lived it as a Secretary of State, as a left-wing media. They are now fundamentally a instrument of the Democrat Party. Uh, We ought to we ought to recognize that and acknowledge that. they get to, this is America. They get to say the things they want, but we shouldn't treat them as if these are neutral arbiters of fact. They, uh, in my experience, they were never that. Yeah. Uh, and so we should acknowledge, yes, they are likely to adopt a view that looks more like the most left, most radical part of the Democrat Party with respect to Israel. Rather how has than, this happened with, you know, Chuck yeah. Schumer? How does he allow this to happen in the Democrat Party to allow this anti-Israel, anti-Semitic? Yeah. You know, sentiment question. to to root it's a great not question. just to not just to seep in. Now it is rooted in the Democrat Party. And yeah. explain why Israel is so important to the yeah. U.S. Yeah, we should be very clear. This isn't just Ilhan Omar and AOC that are saying these things. This is their candidate for president that was the runner-up, Bernie Sanders. Right. This yeah. is someone who garnered significant votes in the Democrat Party two presidential election cycles in a row. Yep. So this is now seeping into mainstream liberal ideology uh, that somehow Israel's existence is a threat to the world, not a glory. And, uh, you know, why does it matter? It, it matters from a security perspective. As someone who ran the CIA for a few years, I saw that amongst our most important partners to help Americans stay safe was Israel's capacity to deliver really good intelligence as a friend and partner of ours. As Secretary of State, I I saw American interests not just in the Middle East but around the world where Israel was able to help us. We should always, as Americans, value other democracies just because the more democracies there are in the world, the less likely it is that there will be conflict in the world that will undermine our capacity. They're also an important trading partner of the United States. They bring really good technological advances, sophisticated technology society as well. There are so many reasons that Israel and their friendship and partnership, military, diplomatic, and economic with us matters an awful lot. So you've seen almost an about face, like a 180 from the Biden administration, from the Trump administration, dealing with China, Iran, Cuba, Israel. Uh, tell me about the, the change. What, what worries you as you're watching all the gains that you made and now this disruption or this dismantling? Yeah. Two, two thoughts, Rana. One, one big, one uh, big but closer to home. The big distinction is that we used American power to create deterrence. Our, our, our foreign policy was very restrained. We weren't adventurous. We weren't out sending huge military forces around the world to go change the nature of the conditions on the ground. That wasn't President Trump's model. I agree with it. It doesn't make sense. We used our other tools. We used our economic tools. We used our diplomatic tools to to create deterrence, to convince the Chinese that taking Taiwan would be a bad idea, to convince the Russians that, uh, well, you took Crimea while President Obama was in office, you're not going to take another inch. Uh, We had a deterrence model that worked. It's, It's unsurprising to me that the Middle East is now blowing up when deterrence, when the pin was pulled. Yeah. So the fundamental idea was be very, very forceful in articulating the things that matter, right, America first and making clear we'll defend those and uh, saying we'll help you defend them when you're helping us defend the things that we care about. Take NATO as a perfect example. We're all in for NATO. you got to start paying. We're there. But you know what? We're not going to carry your rucksack, yep. too. <laughs> so exactly. everybody, everybody gets to participate. Let me give you one that's closer to home, which is a 180 that matters an awful lot. You see what's happening on our southern border. 
we worked our tail off to get that right. It's a complicated problem set. It's not just a matter of saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to close this off today. It has never worked. What did we do? Well, Remain in Mexico. We did. We built a wall. We put in place policy called Remain in Mexico, mm-hmm. where we honored our fundamental right to humanity that says if you're in a bad place and you want to claim asylum, we will absolutely acknowledge your right to do that, but you're not going to come live here and escape into the country when you have a bogus claim. This turned off the magnet. We then worked with the countries in Central America, and we said, we're not going to bribe you. The Biden administration thinks, I think, hey, if we write them a billion-dollar check, maybe people won't come across. Uh, that's not going to work. That just goes into the hands of corrupt it's politicians. Gonna, it's going to go into the hands of corrupt politicians. Moreover, if you're, a, if you're struggling in Honduras or Guatemala or El Salvador, America is a great place to be. That's not going to dissuade them from wanting to come be part of the United States of America. So we worked with those governments and said, no, you'll have to take your people back who have made it inside of the United States. You're going to take them back. So we began flights to use the legal means to repatriate to them to their home country. When you do that, you turn off the magnet. They realize that if you try to make this trip, this arduous, dangerous trip where women are raped and children are abused, we've seen it, right? You see these videos. Yes. They're, they're tragic. The, the human suffering is an epic proportion. We turned off the magnet, and we made their lives better. We solved our problem. We secured our border. And then the Biden team comes in and just literally, because it was, because it was the Trump-Pompeo remain in Mexico policy, they're just going to flip the switch. And they pulled the pin on the Jenga stack, and it has collapsed around them. And the tragedy is it means more fentanyl inside the United States. You talk about foreign policy mattering at home. Right? You get the policy with Mexico wrong, and you're up with kids who have a drug habit in the United States of America. Uh, I, I pray that they think about this again. I saw Vice President Harris, although she refuses to travel to the border, I saw her comment that said this is going to take a long time to fix. You could fix this in days by just simply reverting to the policies that we had in place. I know the Mexican government would welcome that, uh, and I know it's necessary for us. It's so sad, too, because these people who are coming to America, really sad. they're suffering so much. The kids are suffering during this journey. What There's been enough fentanyl seized to kill everybody in the state of New York, uh, I think. Yeah. it's so. It, crossings are up 270% over last April. It really is shameful because it was working. Yeah. And they just didn't want it to work. They, they don't want to give you credit. They don't want to say, hey, you did a great job. It worked. We just want to switch it. Yeah, I think there's two things. One, I think it's uh, uh, right, uh, Trump-Pompeo bad. Yeah. Right? I think yeah, there's, that's I think part it. Of that it. simple. There's a second piece, which is there, there was this idea that sits on the, the left, uh, that sits in the liberal ideology that says uh, open borders aren't such a bad thing. And some of them go so far as to say, no, open borders are a really, really good thing. This is not in the best interest. American workers deserve to have an immigration policy that protects Americans. And if we get that wrong, if we have a legal immigration system that is broken, you'll see precisely what you see on these borders. And we we, we had it. It took us a while. You remember, we got thrown out of court. Yep. Uh, goodness, how many times? A half a dozen times in the first year and a half or so of the Trump administration. But by year two, we had a strategy that the courts would accept that delivered on the promise that President Trump made to the American people and kept our southern border secure. And got Mexico on board. And, and they we were had, on board. We had, the, we had the Central American countries and Mexico all on board. It worked for them as well. It really has deteriorated so quickly. We're four months in and, and yeah. to see this, what's happening It's, it's at absolutely border. tragic. I'm going to go a little more personal now, just to ask you some fun questions before we wrap. But 
you've done so many amazing things. Your career, you've served our country, you've been in Congress, you were the CIA director, as you mentioned, you've been Secretary of State. What's been your favorite? Has there been a favorite? I know that's a tough question, but I'm curious. Uh, You know, no, there's no particular favorite. Uh, The best job I ever had was as a young second lieutenant. Driving four tanks around what was the then east-west German border. We were doing border patrol in the late 80s. And there's nothing like being a 22-year-old with a tank. Uh, this is, uh, uh, that should a, be a bumper sticker. Yes, A 22-year-old with a tank. Yes, we met it there. I know some 22-year-olds that we not, might not want to give them to. But for, for a time, I got the chance to be on Freedom's Frontier as a very young officer in the United States Army. And it was, it was just, I learned so much about America and about freedom. I, we were literally peering into East, Ger- into East Germany. And we could see that right the, the, the fences were all holding their people in not keeping West Germans from going to East Germany, but keeping East Germans in. I, uh, Ron, this is a, it's a great story. I, I left about nine days before the, the Berlin Wall fell, and then the fence line along East Germany uh, came down. And I called back, before the days of cell phones, I called back to a lieutenant friend of mine and said, this is amazing. Tell me what's happening. He said, Mike, the, we're running traffic control points. There's these cars crossing the border, and Mike, they're all going one way. They're going towards freedom. Yeah. Because they didn't know how long it would last before that fence might go back up, and they wanted them and their children and their grandchildren to live in freedom. I, I've, I've, I've thought about that for these last now, uh, goodness, how many years? Uh, 30 on years from this. Uh, so these, it's been a credible privilege. Every one of these jobs, I mean, to be the CI director, just the coolest darn thing in the world. That had to be pretty cool. Uh, and I had a workforce that was spectacular, uh, doing really good work, keeping Americans safe in some of the most difficult operations that one can imagine. Uh, it was an incredible privilege to get the chance to lead them and to work for President Trump, who let us go do our jobs in ways that this administration won't let the agency go do its job. Uh, we're at more risk because of that. Uh, so no, I don't, I don't know that I have a favorite. Uh, I like how did it. you get yeah. into politics? How did you land? Yeah, how um, did you go from lieutenant, yeah, so, 22, tank in Germany to, to here? So a, lot, a winding road. So I was also in the private sector. I ran two businesses for okay. about 10 years in Kansas. Loved it. Manufacturing companies made airplane parts. Uh, was the treat of a lifetime. We were living the dream, living in Kansas. Uh, my wife's a native Kansan. We, I lived there 20 years or 20 plus years. Uh, we love it. We're hoping to get back there before too long. But I was running a manufacturing company, making airplane parts for a while, and then uh, later a company that made parts for the oil and gas industry. Uh, great people who were running the lathes and the mills and the engineers that worked for those companies. It was an awful lot of fun. We were teaching fifth grade Sunday school, my wife and I, which was a blast, which was the perfect, perfect job to become a member of Congress. Uh, working fifth graders trying to figure out how to keep them all <laughs> learning their bible verses and, and saying their prayers it was great practice it was great practice uh i've just I've, america has been so kind to me so yeah. generous and i have gotten this chance to live in the greatest nation in the history of civilization and so the chance to join came congress the seat was open barack obama was destroying america and i wanted to go try and see if i couldn't do just a little bit to get it back in the right direction well, you have done that and more, and I just think you're amazing. And oh, thank, thank you for you. your service to our country. I look forward to all that you continue to do. But thanks for joining Great. me today thank as you. we're having conversations about real America. Thank thanks, you. Mike. Bless you. Thanks, Ronna. Thanks. So I'm Ronna McDaniel, and this is what Republicans stand for. Join us next time on Real America.
Paid for by the Republican National Committee. Not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. www.gop.com.